Well, so good to be with you. Um, let's go on and dive into the Word of God. If you're in need of a paper Bible, just raise your hand and our amazing ushers will assist you. I also want to take this time to honor my pastors, our lead pastors, Pastors Frank and Lisa Santora. I know I always run the risk of this sounding redundant, but to be quite honest with you, I'd rather honor somebody while they're living versus after they are gone. And so we always want to honor those who are worthy of honor. And these two people have made so many sacrifices and they're resting right now. So can we give it up for our pastors, the visionaries of this house? I would not be here ministering to you without their tutelage and their belief and my wife and I. Amen. Well, let's go on and dive into the word. If you're in, uh, if you have your Bible, go on and raise it up. We're going to make our Bible confession. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. Amen. I want you to travel with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. The book of Romans chapter 12. At our Wilkett location or campus, we've actually been going through the book of Romans on Wednesday nights uh, for Bible study. And it's been a glorious time. We've learned a lot. A lot of people have asked questions and have chimed in. And so it's good. I encourage you guys. I know you have Bible study at this campus as well on Wednesdays. So make sure to come. This is where you can definitely get your questions answered and dive deeper into the word of God. But let's go to the book of Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation. Amen. So I'll give you some time to get there. Everybody ready? All right. Well, let's dive into the word. In verse 1, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Hmm. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Mm. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. That's where it starts, right? With the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you. Which is good and pleasing and perfect. We serve a good God. Verse 3. Because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. I love that. In his grace, God has given us different gifts 
for doing certain things well. How many of you know you have a gift from God? If you're not raising your hand, you're going to discover that. Amen? You have a gift from God. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, which is one of the gifts, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. (sighs) Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Are you with me? When God's people are in need, Be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God would bless them. Mm. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. That's the second time he said that. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. That's a word for somebody. Have you done all that you can to live in peace with that person that you were at odds with? It's got real quiet in here. (laughs) Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Guys, we just read a whole chapter together. I want to speak to you from the subject matter, the subject matter, and this is where it really comes into play. Authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here and everyone joining us from wherever they're watching. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to honor you, to serve you faithfully. All that you have deposited on the inside of us, may we continually draw that out and be used of you to minister in whatever sphere of influence you've given us. Use me as your servant today. And may I be reminded of the fact that I cannot do this without you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. As I was preparing this message, I have to give a little confession. Normally when I minister a message, the Lord in many ways um, brings a test, whether it's after that message, and normally it is after the message, that very next week I am faced 
with a situation where I have to put into practice what I just preached. How many of you have ever been there before? (laughs) But this actually happened before I preached. And if I'm honest with you, I almost was at the point where I wanted to abandon this message altogether because I felt like I wasn't fit to minister on it because I had fallen short. On Thursday, I had a meeting here at the church and it was around 12.15 with a couple for premarital counseling. And um, I decided that I wanted to go on and take care of something. And I thought that I had a specific span of time. I think it was around 11.20, 11.30. And um, I was here at the church and I said, you know what? Let me go up to Costco, which was my first mistake. Um, <laughs> Because I had some issues with my vehicle and I had to get my uh, tire fixed because it was flat, but something was going wrong. And I said, you know what, let me just go and take care of this really quick, just really quick. I'm going to go up there, do what I need to do, and I'm going to get back for this meeting. But I forgot that all of the construction is going on in Brookfield. And when I got to the destination, there was jam-packed traffic, jam-packed, and I was stuck. And so I went on and took care of what I had to take care of. It didn't take that long. And then I was looking at the time and there was like lines. It was so crazy. You couldn't even get out of the parking lot. Jam-packed traffic. And as I was getting ready to get out of the parking lot, I'm looking like I'm in my truck and I'm looking to the left. And there's a young man that's asking me to kind of roll down my window. And he's there maybe with his father. And he asked me if it was possible that I could give them a jump. (laughs) because their battery I guess was dead and they asked if I could give them a jump and I got to be honest with you guys I was like a rock in a hard place man I got to get back because I want to be on time for this meeting there's traffic I don't know how long it's going to take me to get out of here and I'm not going to mention what cell phone service I have but I couldn't get any cell phone service in that particular area so I couldn't even text the people that I was going to have a meeting with so everything was just crumbling and under the pressure I told them, I said, I can't. I have a meeting to get back to at the church. And I said, I'm so sorry, but I can't. I rolled up the window and I attempted to try to get back to the church. When I got back to the church, I realized that I was going to be late anyway. And I probably could have stayed there and taken care of somebody that was clearly in need of help. And it's not like I saw the need and I went out to try to see if I could help it. They were asking me to help and I blew it and I didn't help them. And if that person happens to go to this church, those people happen to go to this church or watching this video, I apologize. The Lord dealt with me all day about that. And I felt convicted. And as I read this passage, trying to prepare this message, I would be lying to you if I wasn't thinking about that constantly. Lord, how can I minister on being salt and light and helping people in need and showing genuine love? And I blew it. But the Lord challenged me to bring this message anyway. Because he reminded me that I'm probably not the only one that has fallen short in this area. That all of us have made mistakes. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, even though I was feeling a little condemned, but I had to repent and I had to ask the Lord for forgiveness because I knew that that was my opportunity to help somebody in need. Amen. So that's my confession. 
But as we dive into this text and we look at the book of Romans, I feel that it's helpful for us to understand the context and to understand the background of this chapter that we just read. First of all, I want you to know that the author of this particular book is the Apostle Paul. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was called to write a letter to this church that was situated in Rome. Now this church was comprised not only of Jews, but there were also Gentiles, those who were non-Jews that were in this church. And apparently, as Paul was writing this, neither he nor any of the other apostles had ever visited this church physically. But he was writing a letter to encourage them and to give them hope and to give them some instructions. But he personally had never been there just yet. As he was writing this letter, it's apparent that this church was established by some Jews that gave their life to Christ as a result of Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And on their way from that experience of giving their lives to Jesus, apparently word had spread, the gospel began to go forth, and there was a church that came out of that powerful experience in Acts chapter 2. And this church was established. But as he was establishing what he would write and what he would say to this church, he wanted to give them a dissertation, if you will, of what it means to be a Christian. And I mean to tell you, many people over the years, prominent men and women of God, have attested to the fact that it was Romans that pierced through their defenses. It was the book of Romans that helped them to see the glorious gospel for what it was. Not only does the Apostle Paul talk about justification, which is salvation from the penalty of sin, but he also talked about sanctification, what it means now that you've given your life to Christ to be saved from the the power of sin. He also went into a discussion about glorification, which is salvation from the presence of sin. So he talked and he talked very well and very explicitly about the gospel and how it works out in somebody's life. Are you with me? How many of you know that when we give our lives to Christ, that it is a process to become just like Jesus? It's not something that happens overnight. And as I hopefully convey to you in my confession, I'm still a work in progress even even though I'm up here as a pastor. There are things that God is still working out in my life. But one component that you cannot dismiss, that you must continually give heed to and be sensitive to, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As a born-again believer, you possess the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit contains all of the gifts that could be released into your life. The Holy Spirit is called to lead us into all truth, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is called to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom when it comes to parenting. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom in your marriage. It will help you decide which job to take. Not it, he will help you decide which job to take. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he dwells on the inside of you. And so as he was ministering this word to these people, he wanted them to understand a full understanding of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you go through all of the chapters, chapters 1 all the way to chapter 11, he speaks about that. In fact, in chapters 9 through 11, he also talks about the Jewish people. 
and the purpose and the plans that he has for them. God has not forgotten the Jewish people, but through their rejection, he has engrafted us in. And that's a message for another time. But he talks about that in chapters 9 to 11. But then we get to chapter 12. And in chapters 12 through 16, he moves away from the theological to the practical. Because what difference does it make if your life is not changed? In light of everything that God has done for us, a changed life, a changed way of thinking is the motivation behind somebody wanting to follow the God that you claim to serve. When they observe your life, when they see how you treat people, when they see that you are kind, that there is an evident difference in your demeanor in the way that you carry out your business. God has called us to be a witness. Are you with me? The Bible says in Titus chapter 3 verse 8, it says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and they're profitable to men. It also says in Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. With these thoughts in mind, I want to begin to tear apart this text and really help us walk away with the sense of understanding of what God expects of us as born-again believers, authentic Christianity. The first point that I want to make is this. Authentic Christianity understands and operates with enormous gratitude. Let me say that again. Authentic Christianity understands and operates with enormous gratitude. Your gratitude and your thanksgiving will change the way that you live. When you begin to digest and really meditate on what Jesus did for you on the cross, there is a certain way that you will talk to your spouse. There is a certain way that you will treat those who are your enemy. There is a certain way that you will view life that is different than the people of the world because you see them through the lens of what Jesus did for you on the cross. When I understand what he went through, when I understand that he was slapped in the face with the very hand that he created, when I understand that a crown of thorns was placed upon his head, when I understand that a cat of nine tails was ran across his back several times, and last but not least, when I understand that he willingly allowed himself to go through this, what trial could I face in this life that could compare to what my Savior went through? He deserves more. But he starts off, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy, the Holy Spirit, talking to us about our bodies being a living sacrifice. This is not a foreign concept to the Bible because in the Old Testament, animals were slain as a temporary atonement for people's sins. The priest would take an animal, would kill that animal, and that animal would be sacrificed to temporarily atone for the Israelites' sins. But I have to say this. I can only venture to say, or I I can only imagine that that animal, probably seeing other animals go through a sacrifice, was not willing to go through this process. 
And I wonder why was it so important to God to have these sacrifices so much so that he said it was a sweet aroma unto him because sins were being forgiven on account of those animals. Are you with me? But God in the New Testament is saying, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable, pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service. Based on the gratitude and the thanksgiving that we possess in our heart, it causes me to want to offer myself more and more. Let me say that again. When I understand the, the, the full weight of what Jesus went through, God, this body is yours. My life is yours. My future is yours. My finances is yours. This marriage is yours. My career is yours. Everything is yours, God. My life is going to be a testimony of your goodness because you did so much for me. Are you with me? Come on, somebody. Give it up for the Lord in this place. One of the concepts that was taught in the Old Testament, and it came up a lot, specifically in the case with one of Israel's kings, which was Saul, When he made an unlawful sacrifice, some of you might remember, God spoke and said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Oftentimes in our lives, there are things that we are willing to let go of, but oftentimes we have pockets or areas of our life that we do not surrender to the Lord. You can have all of this, God, but this one area, I'm not willing to budge. I'm not willing to let go of this. And sometimes that is the very thing that is keeping us from having an intimate relationship with God because we're unwilling to give him all. He doesn't want just 80% or 90%. He wants 100% of all of who we are. Listen to what he says in the book of Amos, and this is in the Old Testament, speaking to the Israelites, and I'm not pointing the finger because I have to be honest, I could see God speaking to me in this way too. And he says in 521, I hate all of your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and your solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Powerful. I know Pastor Joey ministered a couple of weeks ago, on the power of our praise. And I love that message as I listen to it because over the years, I've come to an understanding that the enemy is not after your body. The enemy is not after your children. The enemy is not after your marriage. He's not after your finances. He's not after anything except your worship and your praise. If I can get you to bow down, if I can get you to blame God and to put fault on him, I have won. So so when it comes to what happens on the outside, his core understanding or his core belief is if I could just get them to worship me and to bow down to me. Is that not the reason why he was cast out of heaven? With a third of the angels because he wanted the worship for himself. So is it any coincidence that he brings things into our life? Not that the things themselves are important to him, but the worship or the praise that is neglected because we blame God is what he's after. Are you with me? God has called you to praise God anyhow. 
God has called you to worship him through the trials. What is faith if you can see it all in the beginning? Sometimes you have to call those things that be not as though they were. Sometimes when my body doesn't feel right, I still have to raise my hand. I still have to give God the praise and the glory. Even when I see nothing changing in the physical, I know that you are working beneath the surface. Because your word says, though my outward man is perishing, my inward man is being renewed day by day. For I look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. I'm not looking at what I see, but I'm looking at the end result. Some of you right now may be watching me from a hospital bed. In the name of Jesus, I pray that healing would enter into that room and that you would see that our God is able, that he is calling you to step out in faith and praise him even in the midst of what you're going through. He's called us to it. So to the degree that your gratitude grows, your life will be a living sacrifice unto God. If you're finding it difficult to sacrifice for the Lord or to lay it all down, it's because you've lost sight of what Jesus has done for you. And may I submit something else to you? You have to come into an understanding of your position. Did you know, saints of God, that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places? Did you know that you are called to be the head and not the tail? That you are called to be above and not below? That is your inheritance. That is who God has called you to be. But if you're like me, there was a point in my life where my position was not influencing my condition. My condition, what I was experiencing on this earth, and sometimes it was in the area of sin, the battle that I had, I was losing sight of my position. But once I understood that I'm a child of God, once I understood that I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me, I could have the power and the ability to overcome. But I had to lay hold of my position in him. And I had to be reminded of that. The second thing, the second point that I want to make is this. Authentic Christianity understands God has given each person a measure of faith. Authentic Christianity understands God has given each person a measure of faith. It's interesting in this Romans 12 when the Apostle Paul says that God has given us a measure of faith. How many of you know that you wouldn't have even come to the Lord if he didn't give you a measure of faith? We were dead in our sins and in our trespasses. But he drew us by his spirit. Now he gives us a measure of faith. And it may start off as a mustard seed type of faith. But that doesn't mean that it has to remain in that state. Your faith can grow. Because the Bible also declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more of the word that I digest, the more of the word that I get on the inside of me, the more my faith is going to increase. The more my capacity to see beyond what's in front of me or through my five senses is going to grow. My faith is going to rise. But he has given us all a measure of faith. I really enjoyed this, but on Wednesday nights, And woke it, we've actually been going through all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I took the time to literally just pause and we went through and we're going through all of these gifts. Did you know that there are 21 gifts that are mentioned in the Bible? 21 gifts. The book of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
chapter 13, chapter 14, and also here in Romans 12, also in Ephesians chapter 4, all of these scriptures talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And I don't have time to go into all of them, but suffice it to say this, those gifts are available as the Spirit wills to each and every one of us. There is a gift that God has called you to operate in to benefit the body of Christ. Now, some of you may not know this, but we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today. We don't believe that those gifts have passed away with the apostles. We don't believe when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and the Bible says we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is is done apart will be done away with. We don't see that word perfect as being the canon of scripture. We believe that perfect, meaning Jesus, when he comes back, there will no longer be a need for the gifts of the Spirit. But as far as I'm concerned, as long as Jesus is tearing and he's not coming back, these gifts will still be in operation. Are you with me? Turn with me really quick, and I want to make one other point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this wasn't part of my notes, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, listen to what the Bible says, and I'm reading it in a different version. But he says, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have every gift that you need as you wait for his return. Is that not ministering to us that the gifts are still in operation today? I don't have time to go into this, but the baptism with the Holy Spirit will release those gifts into your life. You can read about this in Acts chapter 2 because that's where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. Acts chapter um, 8, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19. Look at all those scriptures to learn about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. With the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, those gifts will be released in your life. Are you with me? It's amazing. But he's given us a measure of faith. When you give your life to Christ, the more that you seek him, The more that you grow in your relationship with him, allow your roots to go deep into him, God will release the gifts that he wants to use through you to benefit the body of Christ. One of the things that I've come to understand, like I was talking to a lady um, after Bible study on Wednesday, and she was telling me that oftentimes something will come over her and she'll have a word to give to, to specific people. Something will just come over her and she'll have a word to give to them. And for, and for some of you, you may not know this, but it's what's called a word of knowledge. And it's where she was literally speaking over somebody's life, something that had happened to them. And there's no way that she could have known what happened to them. But she spoke it and she gave a word of wisdom to help them understand how God was going to use that situation to propel that person in the future. You guys with me? But this gift took time to develop. Any gift that you receive from the Lord, it must be used. Even as I stand here speaking and there's still more growth for me to do, you would be um, ashamed of my first sermon. <laughs> it was terrible. Even though it was from the heart, it had no content because I knew no scriptures at the time. Like I was still learning. But thank God that Lord put some mentors and some people in my life that could help me. And I'm still developing. I have not arrived. 
I'm still learning. But the point that I'm making is you have to uh, execute what God has given you. Whatever he has placed on the inside of you, because I know a church of this size, there are gifts. There is untapped potential that is right here in this room and God wants to use you. Can you sing? And it's been confirmed. You need to use that gift for the glory of God. Amen. Can you pray? Can you come on Wednesday nights and pray and intercede for the saints? Are you a helper? Is your gift helps? Can you come alongside and help us serve in ministry and execute these outreach projects and things that we're trying to do to reach the lost? You have a gift that God has given you and you need to employ that gift. But as I was talking to that lady, she was telling me that people would oftentimes freak out. Because how in the world do you know this? And I ministered something to her and I said, the gifts, when they are in operation, are meant to create a curiosity in people so their hearts will be open to receive the gospel. Is that not what happened in Acts chapter 2? As they spoke in tongues, all of these Galilean men who were untrained, they didn't have Rosetta Stone back then, come on somebody. But they heard them speaking in their own language. And that opened up their hearts to be able to receive the gospel. Somebody can experience the power of God and they can experience the gifts in operation and yet still not be saved. Even though that gift was being used, it should open up the door to share the gospel. And I told her, I said, you know what? When you go and minister and when the Lord gives you these promptings, make sure to indicate, hey, like this may sound weird, but you know what? I'm a woman of God. Um, God sometimes speaks to me. The Lord told me to tell you this. And leave room for the opportunity to share the gospel. Because that's what these gifts are for. To spur us on to good works and to help us grow. Are you guys with me? Amen. The third point that I want to make, and this is where it gets really interesting, is authentic Christianity avoids pretending. Authentic Christianity avoids pretending. Can I be honest with you? I had to search my heart. In fact, this is something that David prayed and it's something that we should employ every day. Lord, search my heart. See if there be anything in me that's not of you. Check my motives. Is my motive in the right place? You know, even when it comes to giving, one of the things that we teach is, even when somebody gives, if your heart is not in the right place, it can be received on earth but rejected in heaven. God said that he loves a cheerful giver. We should never give grudgingly or out of necessity. It should come from a thankfulness and a heart of gratitude. There's going to come a day when God is going to judge all of our works, our good works, through the fire. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And anything that does not come out of the fire, not being consumed, you will miss out on that reward. But everything that does, because it was done with the right motivation, the right intention, you will receive a reward for that. One of the things that I think about is the man that was on the cross who gave his life to Christ. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have an opportunity to accumulate rewards because he just gave his life to Christ. And the point that I want to make there is today is the day of salvation. No day is promised. You don't know what could happen the moment you step foot out of these doors. Give your life to Jesus and surrender to him now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen to this. I was looking at my 
study Bible, and I just thought this was fascinating when it comes to avoiding pretending, particularly looking at the verse that we just read when it talks about hospitality, which, by the way, is a gift. How many of you feel like you have the gift of hospitality in here? You love to host. You love to make people feel at home. Track with me here for just a second. Watch this. Christian hospitality differs from social entertaining. Mm. Christian hospitality differs from social entertaining. Entertaining focuses on the host. The home must be spotless. Come on, somebody. The food must be well prepared and abundant. And the host must appear relaxed and good natured. Am I talking to somebody? Mm. Come on. But watch this. Hospitality, by contrast, focuses on the guest. Their needs, whether for a place to stay, nourishing food, a listening ear, or acceptance, are the primary concern of Christian hospitality. Hospitality can happen in a messy home. Mm. Let us pause on that. Hospitality can happen in a messy home, Mary and Martha. It can happen around a dinner table where the main dish is canned soup. It can even happen while the host and the guests are doing chores together. Don't hesitate to offer hospitality just because you are too tired, too busy, or not wealthy enough to entertain. Good God Almighty. The practical. God has called you to be friendly. One of the things that goes a long way as a Christian is just to smile. Are you excited about what Jesus has done in your life? Man, when I first started ministering, one of the things that my brother, he had to pull me to the side and he said, Brandon, because I was very monotone. It was just part of my nature. Like I was a little shy, a little timid. Um, you probably wouldn't know it now, but, but there, there was a time where I was this way. He said, Brandon, if you're going to minister, you should preach with excitement and boldness. If God has done something in your life, if he has given you this ability to minister his word, preach it with enthusiasm and with excitement. Can people tell that you are excited about what Jesus has done for you? Because if the gospel isn't transforming your life, why should I be attracted to it? If it is not doing anything in your life, in your whole demeanor, in the way that you conduct yourself, why should I serve this Jesus? He doesn't seem very attractive to me. And that's the conviction. And that's exactly how I felt when I told those gentlemen that I couldn't help them jump their vehicle. Lord, I blew it. I messed up. I know that I wasn't being a witness for you. And let alone, I'm a pastor. I'm probably going to see them at church. They might be watching us online. I apologize. But may I submit to you, friends. Kill them with kindness. I know there's a lot of discussions. There's a lot of arguments. You know what really um, ministered to me? I went to go see the movie Sound of Freedom. So many emotions as I watch that. If you haven't saw, um, seen the movie, it's, it's basically highlighting or exposing us to child sex trafficking and how this industry continues to grow. One of the things that I shared 
um, in a recent sermon with our Wilka campus is when you begin to kick God to the curb and you begin to define what is right and wrong, don't be surprised when others that were looking for something to grab a hold to, to justify their behavior, grabs onto that as well. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't kick God to the curb over here and define what's right and wrong and not expect a pedophile to do the same thing. Am I talking to somebody? My heart goes out to every single person that they would come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But as the scripture says, we have to hate what is wrong. And to cling to what is good. It is okay to hate what is wrong as a Christian. It is okay. That doesn't mean that you discredit the individual. That doesn't mean that you don't pray. That you don't witness. That you don't try to minister to them. In a way the Bible says to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. We are called to preach the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we compromise on what we know is wrong. And we got to be willing to declare that. Authentic Christianity avoids pretending, Lord, help me to be authentic in the way that I care for people. Sometimes we can get in a mode. I think all of us, whether it was through our parenting or just growing into an adult, we know what to say in certain instances. Some don't, (laughs) but we know what to say in certain instances when somebody's going through something. If a loved one has passed away, we send our prayers, we send our love, we send our condolences. And yes, I understand that our heart there is to want to help, is to want to offer a hand. But the, what God is trying to convey in this scripture is really mean it. Really go out of your way to help that person, to be there for them in their time of need. Don't just pretend to love them. You know what's interesting, and, and you know, my wife and I, we have a passion for working with marriages. Oftentimes, and he said in that scripture twice, to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. You know where we can get tripped up? Is talking over each other. This happens a lot in marriage. And if I can be honest, sometimes it does happen with us as men, but it can happen with women as well. But we can talk over each other. And many times that talking over one another is prompted by the fact that we think we know more about the subject than our spouse does. So we'll just talk over them. And what it communicates is what I have to say is not valuable. So I just won't speak at all. I'll just shut up and not say anything. And over time, there's a bitterness and there's a resentment that, t- that begins to creep in. Because it's not just about the looks. It's about the love. It's about the appreciation. It's about the affection. And the truth of the matter is, even though the love has been lost, it can be regained. God can restore what the enemy is trying to take away in any marriage, in any relationship. I'm speaking to you right now. God is able to do it. Do not reserve to just being roommates. Do not reserve as our culture is entering into, even for those of you that may be in a relationship and you are choosing to live together. May I submit to you, the Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Do it God's way and it will be blessed. God's blessings will be poured out upon you and he will use you in a mighty way. As I bring this in for a close, 
Authentic Christianity treats all people with respect and not for selfish ambition. Many people use their contacts and their relationships for selfish ambition. They select people who will help them climb the social ladder. Jesus demonstrated and taught that we should treat all people with respect. Those of a different race, those with disabilities, those who are poor, young or old, male or female, it doesn't matter. We must never consider others as being beneath us in any way. Paul says we need to live in harmony with others and not be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Are you able to do humble tasks with others? Do you welcome conversation with unattractive, non-prestigious people? Are you willing to befriend newcomers or entry-level people? Or do you relate only to those who will help you get ahead? How many of you know, man, that hits? What is my motivation? If this person has no benefit to me, am I truly just kicking them to the curb? But what did Jesus say? Go out into the the highways and the byways and compel them to come. Don't just minister to those who can pay you back, but minister to those who cannot pay you back and your heavenly father will reward you. It's coming back to the basics, guys. It's coming back to the heart of the gospel is reaching people where they're at. And somewhere along the way, there are many things that we focus on and they are good things in the word of God, but we can't neglect our first love. Lord, help me to come back to that place of worship and praise of you. And when I do, I will be a conduit of your love and your grace towards others. He's calling us to this. Last but not least, authentic Christianity is able to identify who our real enemy is. May I submit some news to you, friends? Your enemy isn't a physical being. Your enemy is Satan. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I know you may see your spouse as your enemy. You may see your boss as your enemy. You may see somebody of a different race. Can we get real in here as your enemy? But let me tell you something. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Whenever you are in conflict with somebody, you as a mature Christian have to stop and ask yourself, is it this person that I'm fighting against? I know my child is acting like the devil right now, but they are not. They are not the enemy. Come on. Like, I mean, can we get real in here? I know I have kids too, and sometimes they can act a fool. But you know what? I keep speaking life over them. I keep declaring You're the head and not the tail. I call those things that be not as though they were. I pray over them. Sometimes I go and I lay hands on them and declare what God has called them to be. God has called you parents. We need parents. School's about to start. I'm already talking to parents about all the crazy things that are going on in the public school system. You got to pray over that child. You got to speak life over them. And in speaking life over them, they have to begin to see What it is that you're trying to develop in them is being developed in you. Lord, may the change start with me. May it not even be a question of who it is that mom and dad serve here in this household. Lord, help me to be real, not just in church, but at home all throughout the week. Help me to serve you faithfully. Is that your heart today? 
but your enemy is not flesh and blood. You know who exemplified this the best? Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr in the Bible. He's mentioned in Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. Because of the cause of Christ, he was being stoned to death for believing in Jesus. And guess what he spoke, friends? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I wonder where he got that from. Is that not what Jesus said as well? But guess who was listening? Guess who was consenting to his death? The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. I believe if it wasn't for Stephen speaking those words, could that have been the seed that was deposited into Saul's life, whose name was changed to Paul? Could that have been the seed that brought about his salvation? Because of the mercy and the grace that was extended through Stephen, I have no doubt in my mind when he gave his life to Christ that there was some remorse and conviction on him consenting to his death. But at some point, he had to get out of condemnation and enter into the grace of God and realize God is good. Stand with me here in this place. I know we're not necessarily going to be going out of here shouting. It wasn't some revelatory, uh, powerful message. Maybe it was, to God be the glory. But what I felt led to tell you guys today is it's about people. It's about winning the lost. We got to get to a place, people of God, including myself. It's not about me. It's all about you. My marriage is not about me. It's about you. The way I raise my kids is not about me. It's about you. The way that I treat people, and I know I'm going to make mistakes along the way as I've confessed. But the power of the Holy Spirit is he convicts us when it's wrong or when we are wrong, which is positive proof that we are his kids. And I'm thankful for that.